Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show. It's the podcast that translates President Trump. Boy, everybody's trying to translate President right. Trump these days. John Hinderocker will help us. He, uh, he's one of the founders of Powerline. He's also the president of the Center of the American Experiment there in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll talk about the impeachment hearings. And since you're wondering whether I'm still interested in college football, do not despair. How can you not be? Uh, Phil Steele will join us. Right. We'll talk a little college football ahead of the conference championships mm-hmm. and uh, the playoffs. As a former professor of philosophy and law, mm-hmm. I watched the almost the entire hearing with the four law, four law professors. Oh, okay. I was wondering what you thought about that. It was very bad central casting by the Democrats. I was going to say, yeah. They got three professors, at least two of whom seemed very elitist, very kind of snotty and above it all, mm-hmm. arrogant. Third guy, Gerhardt from Carolina, was uh, okay in his in his manner, but he was so categorical. You know, if you can't impeach for this, you can't impeach for anything. Really? Really? But um, I just think, don't think they picked people mm-hmm. uh, in an intelligent way. I mean, this is, a, this is a TV show. Right. You're making it a TV show, so pick your people more credibly. Republicans had John Turley, Jonathan Turley. Mm-hmm. was much better, much more telegenic, much cooler on TV, handled himself very well. And uh, was very credible because he said, hey, I'm not a Trump guy. Mm-hmm. I didn't vote for him. I voted for Hillary Clinton. I voted for Barack Obama. Uh, and, um, you know, but but you, know, you don't have enough here to impeach him on. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought that gave enormous credit. Also, he was also funny. He was very funny. At one point, someone referred to the swamp. At another point, they referred to the people as professors. And he said, I have a double problem. I am in the ivory tower in the swamp. <laughs> kind, of a double, kind of a double disability. Very funny. The other thing, I, I don't have it in front of me, but uh, in the opening, Turley said, Jonathan Turley said, um, yeah, it's a tough time. You know, everybody's mad. Everybody's really mad. He said, Democrats are mad. Republicans are mad. President's mad. Speaker Pelosi's mad. He said, my wife's mad. My kids are mad. He said, I got a labradoodle. <laughs> and they're very mild, kind, not Dogs, he's mad. Mm-hmm. The whole world's mad. And if you look around, I mean, Nancy Pelosi almost took some reporter's head off, James Rosen, the other day. Yeah. Don't you say I hate Trump. I don't. I pray for him. I love him. You know, blah, blah. Something, don't come at me with that word or don't something. Yeah, and then Biden. Did you see Biden losing it with a 83-year-old guy? This guy says, hey, how'd your son get the job? You know, the influence there, you know, in this, this gas company for fifty, sixty thousand 60000 a month in Ukraine, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that to get access to the, to the president. Biden says, you want to do push-ups? <laughs> uh, Pelosi's don't mess with me with that word. Don't mess with me with that word. What does that mean? I don't know. They weren't messing with her. Right. But <laughs> short tempers. Uh, this is an emotional time of year coming up, too. So we're going to have more of this, I think. Anyway, I thought Turley did a, did a masterful job. Really did. We'll get into the merits of all this, um, whatever they may be, with uh, with our friend John Hinderocker uh, in a second. But we, we'd welcome your thoughts uh, on this. seems to me the timing of this is really crazy, too. Uh, if they vote to impeach, it could happen on the 18th or 19th mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or the 22nd. It could may, be maybe Christmas Eve. It's so odd, but I, I think that this could be a part of Pelosi's plan to appear as if she wants to do this whole impeachment thing, but not really because of the timing. Well, You've got to satisfy AOC and that whole crew. I guess. And maybe her real plan is to replace the Grinch. <laughs> Can you see the stuff that's going to come out in the next two or three weeks? 
and you just see the parodies that are going to What's come the Grinch's out? line? I have to stop Christmas from coming, but, yeah, but how? Right. Yeah, impeachment. Is what impeachment. Is. Impeachment. <laughs> That'll stop Christmas from coming. One, it's one the Grinch didn't think of. Yeah, he didn't think of that one. All right. We will, uh, we'll get into this serious matter here in a, in a minute. <laughs> You're listening to The Bill Bennett, Show. Bill Bennett Show. All right, it's time to jump in with John Hinderocker, one of the founders of Powerline, the president of the Center of the American Experiment. Dr. Hinderocker, how are you? Hi, Bill. Doing very well. Good, good, good. Uh, I read uh, your column in Powerline, and uh, I wish I were spared what you were spared. You you know, you, you do radio for three hours, and I watch the hearing for nine hours. And, uh, and uh, you know, I saw I saw portions of the hearing in the best possible way while I was on the radio, and that is on a screen with the sound turned off. There you go, there you go. Well, well somebody said, I guess it was Doug Collins said we're going to learn today. Well, most people, Americans don't want to go to law school, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I went to law school, and I remember Justice Holmes. I th- thought of it for three years during law school. Remember what Holmes said about law school about study of law. If you can eat sawdust without butter, you'll love the study of the law. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, one thing that struck me, Bill, is that those people weren't talking like law professors. You know, you might have thought that if the Democrats are going to start this thing off with a, a panel of distinguished law professors, that there would be some at least at least pretense of a serious effort to talk about impeachment and standards and historical precedents and so on. But man, they just launched right into the Trump hatred. I mean, it was stunning. Well, three of them did. I mean, I think I think Turley did try to do just what you just described. Well, no, you're right. No, I mean, the, the guy the Republicans called Jonathan Turley, who's a liberal, but, but not a you know not one of the uh, anti-Trump uh, brigade, was the only one who did that. The others are just immediately lost in. Uh, in Trump hatred of a very disingenuous kind. I mean, that Carlin, you know, Pamela Carlin, yeah. the one who told the Baron Trump joke, uh, she was hideous. And, and and the guy, Noah Feldman, you know, who who not long ago was talking about, oh, no, it would not be appropriate to, you know, there's no impeachable offense, blah, blah, blah. And now he's up there saying, oh, Trump must go. And somebody asked him about it. He says, well, I was a Trump skeptic. I was an impeachment skeptic yeah. until the July 25 conversation came to light. Now, you know, Trump must go. What utter baloney. Yeah, no, totally. You know, I, I, I think about this now. Maybe, I, you know, I'm doing too much uh, TV. But um, I remember my brother said to me one thing about the Clintons is they know how to stage public events. And, you know, this was a public event. This was a television show. And their their casting team didn't do a good job. These people came across as a kind of caricature, a right-wing caricature of professors, you know? I mean, yeah. you know, kind of arrogant yeah. and, and know-it-alls and, uh, you know, no, you know, gee, I think, I'm not sure, uh, just it, it was, full of certitude, were, full of superiority, yeah, you know? And right. bias. It was biases bias. that were very easily revealed, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I was kind of shocked at the whole thing. I, I thought it was a bizarre idea to to start the proceeding with a panel of law professors as opposed to let's start talking about what it is that Trump did that we want to impeach him for, uh, which is how, you know, as a trial lawyer, Bill, if you're going to present a case to a jury, 
you don't you don't start out with four boring witnesses. You know, the the jury is eager to hear what the facts are that you say entitle you to win the case. And you don't lose any time in starting to talk about your best facts. And for whatever reason, maybe because they don't think their facts are that good, um, uh, the Democrats didn't do that. And what about this? We are... I mean, I've been watching, you know, a lot of televisions. I do uh, watch and go on and, you know, try to pay attention, write op-eds occasionally, uh, do this podcast. But uh, we are going ahead uh, with the impeachment inquiry. Well, what are the what's he going to be impeached for? Haven't decided yet. I mean, isn't that a little odd? In, in my opinion, Bill, I mean, your courtroom thing, about- your courtroom thing, you know, district attorney says we're, we're to the jury. We're prosecuting this guy. We haven't quite decided what for yet, though. I mean, yeah, we're still making up our minds about that. We're, we're still poll testing uh, <laughs> yeah. some of our theories. Right. Yeah. No, you no, it's absolutely right. And, and here's my opinion, Bill. My opinion. I said this at the time. What, the day the Republicans or the day the, day the Democrats recaptured the House last November, it was a done deal that Trump was going to be impeached. Uh-huh. And there was all this stuff about how Nancy Pelosi is the cooler head and she's trying to keep her caucus in line and she doesn't want to do it. I don't think that was ever true. I, I think it was the die was cast when the Democrats took the House. They were going to impeach Trump for something, you know, come hell or high water. And originally they thought it was going to be Trump-Russia collusion. And then uh, when that all fell apart uh, and, and then, you know, culminating in Mueller's disastrous uh, testimony, like the next day they start talking about Ukraine, you know, plan B, you know, so now they're going to impeach. I, I think they've been, there's been, it has been baked in the cake uh, since the day they took the house that Trump is going to be impeached. So now, as you say, Nancy Pelosi, regretfully, sorrowfully, you yeah, know, yeah. I mean, I don't think anybody buys that shtick, uh, is directing the chairman of these committees to start drawing up articles of impeachment. And apparently, at least this is being reported, they're talking about maybe revisiting Russia collusion. <laughs> You know? Yeah, and I and if so, I think it, it just shows how the how the Ukraine thing hasn't really worked out for them. I, I guess we got to give them some credit. Uh, half the country, at least by national polls, I want to break it down because when you disaggregate the data in the battleground states, it comes out a little different. But at least half the country seems to be pretty um, much in agreement with the Democrats. who should be impeached and removed. That's the national polls. Well, I haven't seen any that, that have reached a half, Bill. Maybe but there, there's, there's all kinds of polls. 46, 43. 46, 43. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what's striking to me, Bill, is that the percentage of the population that disapproves of Trump's job performance is the same as, as the percentage that wants him impeached and thrown yeah. out of office. Yeah. This is amazing. We yeah. know, we've never seen before. I mean, I disapproved of Barack Obama from the day he was inaugurated until sure. the day he left office sure. on what I thought were good and sufficient grounds, but I didn't think he should be impeached, you know? Yeah. And and I don't think there was ever 5% of, of Republicans who said, let's impeach Obama, uh, no matter how much we disagreed with him. Yeah. But the hate that the Democrats have stirred up in their base I, we've never seen anything like it. I mean, maybe if you go go back to Abraham Lincoln, maybe if you go back to the level of hate that, that the Democrats directed against Lincoln, you might you might find something analogous. But other than that, 
we, we've just never seen this before. You know, you mentioned the Obama thing, and then, of course, a lot of talk about Clinton, and we've noticed a lot of playing of Jerry Nadler talking about, you know, during the Clinton impeachment, not don't overturn an election and so on. Is that, Are we setting the course for the future? I think the president's actually been very good on hitting this note. He's hit it several times. I hope this never happens again to another president. I wish he'd just say, I hope it never happens to another president, Republican or Democrat, you know, for this kind of, of farcical reasons. Uh, is this, is this, are we setting the future course here? Is this what happens when the roles are reversed? I don't know. I don't know uh, either. I don't think of, so. I don't think so. I don't think so either. We got a, a lot of one-way streets in our politics, Bill. There's a yeah. lot of things that the Democrats will do that the Republicans won't. I know that. And I'm one of those That's Republicans, great. you know. I'll sometimes say, well, by golly, we're taking notes. You know, we're taking notes. And next time we've got a Democratic president, you know, watch, just wait, wait till you see the resistance that we mount, right? But I don't really mean it. Uh, you know, I, 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 know. I think I know. the Republicans aren't going to do this kind of nonsense. Yeah, I know. I, you know, from my radio show during the Obama years, I remember what what I got more than anything was people were saying, you know, Bill, I think I'm calling in. I haven't listened for a couple of years. When Obama got reelected. I just decided to play classical music, go to church, and spend time with my family. Not, 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 not interested. So, you know, more kind of withdrawing and, uh, you know, entering another, another, you know, a parallel part of life and, and no more engagement in politics. But this goes back the to the old thing, which is that have, the Democrats the love politics. They don't have another part of life, right? That's right. all they got is politics. That's, That's it, part of yeah. The problem. yeah. And Democrats love you know, it. I, they, wish, I, wish they, I wish they would go to church and spend time with their children. Right? No, but, you know, they love politics. They love Washington. They love running things. And, uh, you know, Republicans don't. It's a, it's a different it's a different disposition. So what, what will happen? They will impeach him for sure, right? I mean, I think there's too much being made, John, get your judgment about these 31 swing districts. I don't think many of them are going to go against impeachment. Well, um, they were they're going to impeach him. There's no doubt about that in the House. Uh, they can't turn back now. I mean, they're they're committed. If they turn back now and did not vote articles of impeachment, they would look ridiculous. It would be a humiliating defeat. I mean, no, they, they made that decision a long time ago, in my view. They're going to impeach him. But but and but but the, you know the, the more precise point here: if they if 18 of these 31 swing districts went against impeachment, they wouldn't have the numbers. But they're not going to get anything like 18. Oh, no, 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 no. The Democrats are a top-down party. I mean, if yeah, the Speaker yeah, of the House yeah. says you're voting yes, they will vote yes. Now they might let a couple go, but I don't think so. I mean, I think it's really important to them. That um, that the Republicans not be able to say that the opposition to impeachment was bipartisan. Yeah, I think they're going to twist every arm in sight, and if they lose a few seats, they lose a few seats. We've had a couple but already. They, they, there are two already. Guy from New Jersey and another guy. Um, but you know, there may be a couple more, but there won't be more. Than well, that. Colin Peterson for Minnesota's seventh district. You know, one, one of uh, Minnesota's uh, congressmen was one of the two to vote against uh, commencing the impeachment uh-huh. proceeding. And I think they're running ads against him right now on television here. And I think he may, for one thing, I think he may, I think he may retire. And I think he doesn't care as much anymore what Nancy Pelosi says. You know, in his, his district, I think, I think Trump carried his district by 26 points, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And so he's like one of a tiny number who may just say the heck with it and, and vote no. 
and, and but if he votes for impeachment, he, he there's no way he holds that seat. I, I don't. I think he's going to lose anyway if he if he runs. But if he voted for impeachment, he might as well not even run. To explore the tiny number for just a second, I wonder if you get, let's say, and I think this is plausible, five or six Democrats. Uh, not to, to vote, not for impe- not to vote for impeachment, to vote against impeachment, but no Republicans. Even though that's a small number, that's kind of a telling number, isn't it? That the only shifts are the, on the Democrat side, not the Republican side. It does give the Republicans, even if it's a small number, the ability to say that opposition to impeachment was bipartisan. Yeah. All right. Let's go to yeah. trial. You're the expert here. So it goes. They impeach him. It goes to the Senate. Uh, and uh, the president is saying, bring it on, let's go. And we got questions about looking into corruption in in Ukraine, and we're going to have Biden, and we're going to have Biden's son, we're going to have all, all sorts of people. Uh, that's Adam just, Schiff? Adam Schiff, yeah, that's, that's just one picture. What do you think happens then in the Senate? Obviously, they'll acquit him, I think, uh, Caterus Parabus, but, 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 but what else? I think the result is foreordained in the Senate, just like, in my view, it was foreordained in the House. Yeah, of course, they'll be acquitted. What I don't know is what process is going to get us to that foreordained end. Um, If I were Mitch McConnell, I think I would be tempted to have a very short proceeding lasting maybe a couple of days um, and, and conducted in a way that's sort of contemptuous of the of the House uh, bill of impeachment, uh, and and just hold the vote and say that was a waste of time. We're moving on, and and not really give it the time of day. I, I'd be very tempted to do that, but but the other the 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 theory that you're hearing more often is that he may do a pretty extensive process and and actually call some of these people call Adam Schiff call the so-called uh, whistleblower and talk all about his his democratic party connections and his meetings with the Schiff's staffers and 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 so forth and uh and, you know, call a number of witnesses. Uh, and I've been asked this, and I don't know the answer. People have said, well, you know, they've called, you know, for Giuliani. They've called for, you know, Don McGahn, and they haven't come. The rule's different in, in a Senate trial. Do these people have to come? They call Jeff? I don't know. I don't. I don't, I don't know the answer yeah, to that. Yeah. No, uh, this, these things happen so seldom. I, know, yeah, I, know, yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I'm not. You know, the Constitution has just got the one one line about impeachment. You know, I. I know. The only thing we know for sure is that the Chief Justice is going to preside. I don't think any procedures are spelled out anywhere, and they happen so seldom that uh, I, I. I don't know. I mean. Um, so, so we'll see. You know, I, I, I don't I don't have a, a good sense of how extensive a proceeding it's going to be. One of the things people say is that while the so-called trial is going on, there's three or four Senate Democrats who are trying to run for president. <laughs> and um, and uh, Mitch McConnell might hold them hostage in the Senate yeah. you know, so they can't be out of trail. I don't know. I wouldn't do that, but I don't know. Maybe he will. Well, the timing, I mean, it looks as if... I just see the calendar this morning. They're saying, well, if they, if they want to impeach before Christmas, it's going to happen on the 18th or 19th or maybe the 22nd or 23rd. Maybe she'll be the new, she aspires to be the Grinch, the new Grinch. I mean, the timing of this is un- unfortunate, isn't it? Merry Christmas, President Trump. Here's your piece of coal. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> but you know, Bill, well, here's what I think. I think that, you know, this whole thing is a political stunt. We all know that. They poll tested these various theories and terms and so on. And, and you know, it's all a political stunt intended to, to weaken President Trump in, in the 2020 election. Uh, simply by pairing his name with the word impeachment in 50,000 newspaper headlines. And I think to some degree, it, it probably has impact. It can't help him that every day the, the news is about about him being impeached. But the only court that matters here is the court of public opinion, yep. because that's what this is. This is a, a play that's being enacted for the voters. And one thing that I find that I think is entertaining, at least, is, is maybe giving us a clue about how people are reacting. And my partner, Scott Johnson on Powerline has done this a couple of times. So this morning in the Minneapolis Star Tribune, as every other newspaper in the country, there's a big headline that Pelosi directs a, a committee chairman to draw a bill of impeachment. Ta-da! You know, this is, oh, this yeah. is so important. You know, this is, this is epic history being made, right. you know, constitutional crisis. Well, I'm the online version of the Minneapolis Star Tribune, which is, I think, the sixth most widely read newspaper paper in America online, you can look at any any given time and see what the five most read stories are, right? Well, I assume the editors would like for the most read story to be Nancy Pelosi is directing uh, drafting of a bill of impeachment. But here are what, in fact, this morning were the five most read stories oh, in the Minneapolis Star Tribune. Scott put this up. I love it. The number one number one story is a, is a real you know sad story, which is all, all three aboard National Guard helicopter for maintenance yeah. flight yeah. to die and crash. So yeah. that's a local uh, plane crash. Right. Yeah. Number sure. one. Number two, sacred Dakota peace pipe sells for. $40,000 and buyer okay. gives it back to Minnesota tribe. So that's a local kind of interesting Good, story. Interesting. Number, number three, number three most read story is the winning cookies of the 2019 Star Tribune cookie contest. There you go. <laughs> that's number three. Did the, center, did the center of the American experiment submit a cookie? <laughs> we should have. Yeah. We should have. Um, and then, but then now we go to sports. The fourth most read story is twins will re-sign Pineda to two-year, twenty million dollar <laughs> deal. And finally, and finally, the fifth most read uh, story in the Minneapolis Star Tribune: Justice Justin Timberlake apologizes to wife Jessica Beale for quote strong lapse in judgment close quote. Okay, <laughs> well, you know. I, yeah. My guess, my guess, though, is you would have had to go a long way down that list. I mean, if you got the cookie contest, and you got, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, I think you'd have to go a long way before you find people reading about uh, drawing up the the bill of impeachment. I, I think most people uh, pretty well understand this is all political, and I don't think they're paying all that much attention. The other thing is, you know, you you talk about. Back to what you said earlier, John, about associating, you know, uh, uh, Donald Trump's name with impeachment. Uh, Bill Clinton's name was associated with impeachment. Didn't seem to hurt him much, right? Seemed to help him. Yeah, right. So, and here's the other thing. I'm thinking of your news stories and Justin Timberlake and so on. A friend of mine said the other day, uh, yeah, he's just a guy who's just, you know, he works for a living, delivers packages. I've gotten to know him. Uh, yeah, FedEx guy. And he says, 
You know, Ukraine with the president. So he said, "This isn't like the dress." That was interesting. You know, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I remember when I asked George Gilder, I said, "Why do we sell more books about you know sex and philosophy?" He said, "Because everybody's got a bottom, not everybody's got a top." You know, uh, and, and, you know, but I mean, you, you were kind of drawn to the Clinton stuff, right? Monica Lewinsky said what, and and what was her name? Uh, you know, the woman who was she, who was who was Monica's uh, confidant. You know. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, right. What was her how, name? How do we yeah. how do we forget these names? Yeah. Anyway, they tried to shut her up and all that, and tried to take her to court. Um, but you know, there was this stuff, and I mean, it was about sex, you know, and about the president, and about the Oval office that had a it was very easy to understand it was, yes it was lurid <laughs> but but lurid sells right right and to try to explain to somebody what the heck did trump do wrong vis-a-vis yeah. ukraine well for one thing if you know anything about the fact it rapidly falls apart you know but yeah I, I, it's very difficult to, to give an explanation that that, that is co- both coherent and persuasive yeah yeah, no, I, I know. And so I, but I'm just thinking in terms of your list, it occurred to me while you were going yeah. through that list. Yeah. I'll bet you that Clinton's stuff would have been higher on the list. It's not that impeachment oh, per se, you know, isn't interesting, but what are you talking about? He said something to the president of, of, of Ukraine. Who that, you know, who the heck cares, you know? Anyway. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. And by the way, if you look at the Rasmussen uh, survey, um, uh, Trump has had a sudden bounce. So yesterday yeah, yeah. he was at 52 percent approval. Today's at 51 percent approval. I'm a little skeptical of that, frankly. But uh, who knows? You know, maybe uh, people are starting to sort this out and say it's a bunch of BS, and then maybe you'll get a bounce from it like Clinton did. Yeah, Linda Tripp is who we were thinking of. I'm embarrassed. I yeah, forgot her yeah, name. Right. She right. should be known forever for one of the greatest lines ever delivered in American history. Monica, save the dress. <laughs> and don't take it to the dry cleaner. <laughs> right? I mean, she should be immortal. And I forgot her name. I feel bad, I feel, I feel bad about it. But... Anyway, but uh, but you know we're we're getting some yucks on it, but it is kind of sad. I, I I mentioned this a couple of times already in, on this podcast, but one thing Turley said that was priceless up front. I don't know if you saw this. He said, you know, problem here is everybody's mad. He said, you know, the president's mad, Nancy Pelosi's mad, Democrats are mad, Republicans are mad, my wife is mad. She's normally not. My kids are mad. I have a labradoodle, a very mild-mannered dog. He's mad, you know. Uh, and we just saw Pelosi go off berserko on a on a reporter, and Joe Biden. You asked her if she hated Trump, right? And Joe Biden wanting to take on this eighty-three-year-old in a push-up contest. <laughs> I, I, I said hilarity aside, and you can't resist the hilarity. You know, sorry, but but I mean, there are oh, these. There, what they, we are divided, aren't we? Aren't are we truly divided? Well, yeah, we are, Bill. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, this, this this is this is a continuous process that goes back to election night, twenty sixteen. The Democrats, it's a you know, it's a commonly made observation, but it's true. The Democrats did not accept the result of that election. They have never accepted that result. They have never viewed Trump as a legitimate president, and they have engaged in a ceaseless campaign of hate. 
since before he was inaugurated. They were calling. To, they wanted to impeach him before he was inaugurated. Yeah. I mean, yeah. They were already talking about it. I mean, it is a ceaseless, nonstop campaign of hate that has never abated for one day uh, since Trump won the election in 2016, and now that hate is being brought to some kind of fruition uh, in the form of a futile uh, impeachment process. Is it sad? It's absolutely sad. I mean, you know, Bill, I went to college. I graduated in 71, right? So I, I was a student at the height of the Vietnam War protest days and so on. And and people talked about the, how divided the country is and, oh, it's such a terrible, you know, um, you know demonstrations and occasions violence and so on. But it was not like this. It was nothing like this. You know, we, my friends, like, you know, Paul Mirangoff from Powerline, you know, was one of my, probably my closest friend in those days. And, and we were both commies. You know, we were marching against the war. Yeah. But we had friends who were conservatives. Yeah. We had friends who were non-political. We had friends all, of every kind. And in those days, even though people talked about how divided the country was, and it was true in a political sense, it was nothing like today. I, you know, it was not uh, an environment where, where people hated, you know, the, the, the ones who disagreed with them. And I think that's what's really different now. Any, any ideas about how to get it back together? No. Honestly, Bill, no, okay. I, I, no. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, get my, I, if I would say best case scenario is that the, that the Democratic Party is so thoroughly repudiated at the polls yeah, they shut that up. they back off, yeah, they shut that up. they back off. Now, obviously, that didn't happen in 2018. You know, that just encouraged them. One, one irony here, because you mentioned it twice, about how they not, didn't accept the uh, results of the election. That was a question asked, I don't know how many times, of Trump. Because the first time he was asked, you know, before the election, he said something that was ambiguous. Well, we'll see, you know. Right. Yeah. Remember, will you yeah. accept the results? Right. Well, you right. know, you know, he would have. He would have grumbled and complained and said that there was voter fraud, but he would have accepted it. But truly, the party that has not accepted it was the party that was never asked whether it would accept it because everybody assumed they'd win. That's exactly right. Tell <laughs> me. I do have to say, Bill, I do have to say I was one of the handful of pundits who actually predicted Trump to win. I did, I did too. I did too. Is that right? I did on TV. Yeah, that's I did good. on TV. I was on, it, yeah. it was on Fox, and I was on with two of the Fox regulars. I won't mention their names because they're still on. And uh, the one guy was saying, yeah, yeah, Hillary may win Texas. And uh, what, <laughs> you know, anyway, anyway, it went on. I said, you know, where am I? Am I at CNN? What, you know, what, what is this anyway? Um, but uh, no, I, I predicted it. Uh, and uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm on record and good for you. Good for you. Um, last question. The, the Demo- uh, John, let me ask you the, uh, the handicap, the Democrat race. Uh, what's going on? I mean, that, that amazing to me, the, the fall of Elizabeth Warren. Is this... <laughs> Apart from the fifty-two trillion dollar price tag, does this mean anything significant about the Democrat Party? That it is a party of the center left and not the left. 
I don't know, Bill. I mean, I'm just enjoying the spectacle, frankly. Um, and part of what's going on with impeachment, obviously, is they haven't got a candidate. If they had thought they had candidates who could beat Trump at the ballot box, I don't think they would be so hysterical about no. dragging him down via impeachment. If I were a Democrat, every time I looked at a poll and I saw Joe Biden on top, oh, it would send shivers down my spine. I've been saying for a long time, Joe Biden is a dead candidate walking. I mean, there's no way this guy makes it to the finish line. But the field is so weak that, um, you know, uh, he, he continues to float above his, his rivals. Elizabeth Warren, I thought when it started, Kamala Harris was maybe the person to beat. I did, too. Right? I thought she you was know, you know, very attractive, I'm smart, you know, telegenic. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, kind of cool Senate. Check the identity boxes, you know. Yeah, right. I mean, I, I thought on paper yeah. she was the, probably the person to beat. And, and, of course, she's now out of the race. Amazing. Elizabeth Warren, at one point, you know, I said, yeah, it's her race to lose. You know, Me she's too. pulling up. Me too. She's got the energy on the left. And then... Apparently, it was it was it was because of the fact about her health care proposal started coming out and so on. Uh, all of a sudden, now the other thing about Elizabeth Warren, I mean, she makes uh, Hillary Clinton look warm and fuzzy. Yeah, I mean, they are, yeah. oh my god, can you imagine being yeah. hectored by this woman for four years? Yeah, no, I know, and, oh. no, I know, I know. So, I know. so who is there? So now you know the man Pete of the Buttigieg. moment. It's like, are you kidding me? I mean, does somebody seriously believe that Pete King, mayor of South Bend, Indiana, is going to be our next president? I'll bet you a nickel that that's not going to happen. You know, you know who the Democrats actually, in my opinion, should nominate, and who I think, if they nominated this candidate, uh, would would beat President Trump. Who? Tulsi Gabbard. Huh. Tulsi Gabbard is a dynamite combination if they had the sense to get behind her. She's very liberal. I mean, there's nothing on her policy agenda Mm -hmm. domestically. Well, either, actually, in terms of either foreign or domestic. But if you look at her domestic agenda, she's a very, you know, typical, you know, know, very liberal uh, Democrat. Um, What's different about her compared to the others is that she's patriotic. She's a veteran. She's a National Guard member. She's she's been deployed overseas. She loves her fellow military uh, people and veterans. And she loves America. She's patriotic. And and because and, and so she has this almost isolationist foreign policy, but it comes from a different place. In other words, it's not the isolationist foreign policy that gets her in trouble with Democratic voters. It's her reason for it. You know, they're isolationist because they think America sucks. Everything we do overseas is is bad, and because we're evil, you know, we shouldn't do anything. She she gets to the same conclusion, but through a completely different path, and and that's why. They don't like her. So you so you look at you look at that and you take the fact that she's young, she's very smart, she's good on her feet, she's tremendously attractive, frankly. I mean, there's never been a presidential candidate remotely like her just in terms of, of youth and attractiveness. I think if they ran Tulsi Gabbard, I think she would beat Trump. But they'll never do it. Wow. That's the first. That's where we have John Hinderocker on this show. That's the first. And it's so interesting. It's so original and so provocative. We're going to cut it from the interview because I don't want anybody. <laughs> I don't want anybody getting this idea. I don't want this falling on the wrong ears. I think we're secure, Bill. The, the Democrats will never nominate for president a person who is openly patriotic. Isn't that amazing? You can, you can take that to the bank. But, but don't you love... 
the uh, Democrats' devotion to those white men of the 18th century? I mean, the quoting of those white males, those dead white wasp males? Well, then, of course, you got the ever-declining diversity, uh, you know, depending on how you define it, of their presidential field. So Cory Booker is now complaining about the possibility that they'll wind up with six white finalists on the stage and how yeah. terrible that is. Yeah. That's actually music to my ears, you know. Yeah. I'd love to see a bunch of, of, of Democratic voters stay home because of talk like that. Yeah, no no kidding. No kidding. Anyway, all right, the times in which we live. John, thank you very much. We know how hard you work with your show and the, the center, and um, we're so grateful to you. Always good and always fun. Even in these divided times, you always have some good times. So thank you very much. Survive the winter out oh, there, fun. would you? Are you have winter yet? Hey, man. This, oh, <laughs> we've had winter for a while. We had very early winter. and But the sun is shining in my windows. It's uh, warm and toasty. You have a very merry uh, Christmas, Bill. Thank you, and same to you. And keep us up to date on the Justin Timberlake situation, will you? <laughs> Not to mention the cookie contest. I love it. I love it. Everything's right. everything's up to date in Minneapolis. Thank you. Thank you, John. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks, Bill. Bye. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Hey, right now, everybody, Omaha Steaks is sharing an amazing limited-time offer with my listeners. There's still time to place your order for the holidays. I'm going to do it, and i got a surprise for you, Claude. Oh, okay. Go to omahasteaks.com, enter the code Bennett, B-E-N-N-E-T-T, in the search bar to order the favorite gift package, the gift everyone will love, for only $69.99. That's a great deal. Want to know what's in that great deal? Yes. Four six-ounce bacon-wrapped filet mignons, the most tender steak in the world I had one the other night. The bacon-wrapped one? Yeah. Oh, goodness. We had four. (laughs) Mrs. Bennett and I and our son Joe is home. Joe is a pretty big boy. He could eat all four if he wanted to. Yeah, he could. He looked at mine. He ate two. I ate one. Mrs. Bennett ate one. He was looking at mine. So I ate it fast. Four six-ounce bacon-wrapped filet mignons, the most tender steak in the world. Four savory premium pork chops. That's good. He ate them the next day for lunch. Four Omaha steak burgers. Four perfectly browned potatoes au gratin. Four made-from-scratch caramel apple tartlets. I call them tartles. They're tartlets. (laughs) An Omaha steak signature seasoning packet plus, only for my listeners, a free six-piece cutlery set. And cutting board. Wow, that? a cutlery set and cutting board. Yeah. All this delicious food, Claude, plus the free cutlery. You'll enjoy it for years to come. Sixty nine ninety nine. Let me right. tell you something right now. I am ordering my own. And you know what else? What else? I'm ordering your family. Are you serious? Same thing. Dr. Bennett, thank you. Merry Christmas. Thank I want you. you to think of me with every... <laughs> Every time you bite into that savory Omaha steak. Well, and anytime I use a cutlery set as well. Right. I'll have to think about you. And when little Manny has one of those caramel apple tartles. Yeah. Tartles, all right? Yes. It's good food, folks. It's wow. really good food. Uh, they are the most tender, the most flavorful, and you can only get steaks of this quality from Omaha Steaks. It's America's original butcher. Omaha Steaks is a fifth-generation family-owned company with over 100 years of expertise in delivering perfectly aged beef. It's hand-cut by master butchers in the heartland of America. You know, I mentioned to Mrs. Bennett that uh, we'd be getting some Omaha steaks, and she mm-hmm. said, you know, my mother loved them. My mother used to order them years ago. They've been, oh, wow. they've been around, you know. Yeah. 
Again, order you know if, if you survive in this kind of competitive economy, mm-hmm. you got a good product. Absolutely. Again, order now and you can get the favorite gift holiday package plus the free six-piece cutlery set and cutting board for only sixty-nine ninety-nine. Just go to omahasteaks.com and type Bennett B-E-N-N-E-T-T in the search bar. Don't wait. If you want to take advantage of this offer and get your gift there before the holidays are over, before Christmas is over, mm-hmm. I can say Christmas, can I? Well. I'm- we're we're not attacking Christmas here on no, this show. No, no, we're actually we're highlighting Christmas. <laughs> Please go to omahasteaks.com, Type Bennett B E N N E T T into the search bar to order the gift. Everyone will love. Really, everyone will love. Mm-hmm. Order the favorite gift package today. You'll enjoy it. How about that? Merry Christmas to you, Claude. Thank you, Doctor Bennett. Yeah, that's a good gift. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. This is you know that you get some gifts. You say, I wonder who I can pass this on to. <laughs> no, you're not passing this up. You're not passing those yeah, fillets no, to somebody no, else. No, there. no, no you're, you're not. You're no, taking, you're not. <laughs> you're taking those home, keeping them home. That's it. All right. You're listening to the Bill Bennett Show. Let's change direction. Let's talk a little college football. Joining me now is Phil Steele, creator of the Phil Steele College Football Preview, the premier magazine about college football, and he's an ESPN insider. Phil, welcome back to the show. It's good talking to you again, Bill. How are you? Good yourself. Oh, man, I'm in the swamp here. Talk about a swamp. Gosh, it's a good thing for football. What's going on with this? Yeah, what's What's going on with this impeachment thing? I just work on football. What's As we say, don't get me started. Don't get me started. Don't get me started. (laughs) This this is your segment, not mine, but thank God for football. But, gee whiz, this is when I start to tear up. Season's almost over. I mean, the regular season is over. Yeah. Man, it went fast. Yeah, it's last. Ten games left, and then, uh, boom, it's just the bowls. I know, I know. Anyway, Phil, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, I was just going through the magazine earlier uh, yesterday. You were on top of things. Uh, what do you think, what are you proudest of as your prediction uh, that you made back well, in right the Well, right now, right now, provided they win today, uh, that would be Utah, uh, yeah, picking yeah. them as the number one surprise team. Because uh, last year, I had Notre Dame as the number one surprise team, yeah. a non-top ten team that yeah. I thought could make the playoff. And this year it's Utah, so hopefully they come through tonight. But boy, I mean, I looked at your top, top ten, top twelve list. There they are. You know, Clemson, LSU, Utah. I mean, you, you know, Georgia. Uh, you, you, you nailed it. You nailed it. I got one reflection before we get into the individuals. Yeah, you and I have talked about this before. I was sort of a fan of expanding to six or eight because of all the teams. Mm-hmm. But, but given the situation this year, I don't know if you've heard this yet. Maybe you've come up with it. Maybe we should reduce it to three. Teams. Teams. So there's obviously there's obviously three teams, you know, uh, th- that should be in it. But um, you know, three unbeaten teams. But but I yeah. Let, let's go to Utah and Oregon. What about it? That's uh, that's Friday night. That's tonight as we're talking. Uh, well, tell me what you think. Uh, Oregon is still a good team, right? Yeah, Oregon is a very good team. They've got, in fact, my number one rated offensive line in the country coming in. Uh, defensively, uh, they're, they've been much improved this year. They've got a quarterback in Justin Herbert who could very well be the top quarterback taken in the draft. So it's a very good Oregon team. But Utah is just a complete squad. You look at their defensive line, it's the best defensive line uh, in the Pac-12, one of the best in the entire country. The secondary is outstanding. They've got a running back in Zach Moss who's a big boy that can handle the load. And then Tyler Huntley been a very pleasant surprise. 
franchise, a quarterback, among the top five in the nation in pass efficiency this year. So they're complete. They've got the offense, the defense. The thing that concerns me tonight will be the weather. It's supposed to be about uh, 85% chance of rain, winds about 20 miles an hour. That might slow Utah down a little bit, but I still think Utah's the better team comes out of there with the win tonight. You know, I, I've heard you a couple times, and of course I read in the, in the great magazine um, about the Utah defensive line. How do you think they stack up with, let's say, Ohio State defensive line or Georgia, which is really what's carrying Georgia into the finals here? I'll put them right up there with them. They've got Bradley and they, an outstanding pass rusher on the outside. Loki for two in the, in the inside is a, a guy that's going to be playing in the NFL at defensive tackle. And they go about 10, 12 deep on the D line so they can rotate players in. And uh, really, you know, what the, you know, look at the last three games they've played. They've had uh, five sacks against UCLA, five against Colorado. Teams like Washington State just threw the ball like a second and a half after the snap so they wouldn't get sacked. But they held Washington State to 13 points. So it can be a very dominant defensive line and one of the best in the country. One of my friends, and I know you're not a betting man, but neither am I, as you know, but one of my friends has, has taken a teaser in which he took Oregon plus 13 on, on one side and then on another bet, combining with Ohio State, uh, Utah just to win. It's not a crazy bet, is it? No, no, especially with the weather tonight, because yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think uh, with the rain and the winds, uh, if that keeps the game uh, lower scoring, that could be a big plus for that type yeah. of wager. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's go to let's go to tomorrow. Um, I'm really curious about this Baylor Oklahoma. Is is Oklahoma just going to pick up in the first quarter what it did in the fourth quarter to poor Baylor? And I, I say poor Baylor because it was a great effort, and then they just kind of collapsed in that game against the Oaks. Yeah, and I think with Baylor, it might have been a little bit of uh, not being in the situation before. I mean, they were up 31 to 10 at the half. They yeah. had a 238 to 157 yard edge, and then maybe get a little conservative, and maybe trying to protect the lead a little bit, and it just didn't work out in the second half for them. And keep in mind, C.D. Lamb, a wide receiver for Oklahoma, did not play in that game. He'll be back for this one. Right. I like the fact that Oklahoma's got the uh, the has played in the Big 12 title game the last two years. They beat Texas, as you might remember, Bill, uh, 39. 27 I don't remember. Year. I don't remember. <laughs> and beat, uh, beat TCU by 24 the year before. So they do look like they're probably the better team. But I think Baylor's got a chance of hanging with them. I like the way they played this year. And I tell you what, uh, when you look at Coach or talk to Coach Matt Rule, I talked to him last year at the in the spring. They were coming off a one-win season. And just before we hung up the phone, he goes, Phil, we're going to make a bowl this year. And I sort of discounted it. Like, yeah, it's whatever. And they made a bowl. And then this year I said, well, Coach, you were dead on last year. What do you think this year? And he's like, Phil, I think we can be at the Big 12 title game. And boom, here they are. So, I mean, uh, he's doing a heck of a job coaching Baylor. They've got a good defense. They've got Charlie Brewer on offense, a quarterback. Love it and hasty at uh, running back and Mims, a receiver. I think they can make a game of it tonight. Should be a good game. Oklahoma is uh, weird, and and I'm not speaking out of pro-Texas bias. I don't want to say anything more about Texas except how disappointed I am. I mean, really? No, I mean, I really, they, you know, I I think you predicted they'd be better, right? Yeah, I believe you did. And I mean, it's just, uh, it's just disappointing now. What is the third year, fourth year for Herman? Yeah. And they had, you have to do, look at the fact they did have a lot of injuries this year. That defense got decimated by injuries. At one point, they were missing about four or five DBs, a couple of linebackers, a defensive lineman or two. But yeah, you would have expected more out of Texas than what you got this year. But, uh, but I I was prefacing there my comment about Oklahoma. Oklahoma's looked 
looked weird in some of these games. I mean, they lose to Kansas State, and then they barely win a couple of other games, and then they totally lose, as you were saying, the first half against Baylor, and then they come back like the strongest team in the country. Got a, they got an identity problem? I mean, do they know who they are? What, what is that all about? Yeah, a lot of close games this year. And I think that's why the committee has Utah ranked above Oklahoma, frankly. Uh, when you look at Utah, they've had one close game in the last eight. And that was the game against Washington. Other than that, they've blown out every single opponent. And you touched on it. Oklahoma only beat Texas by seven. Lost to Kansas State. Iowa State's a two-point conversion away from beating them. Baylor, they needed the massive comeback to win by three. TCU was down by four in the fourth quarter with the ball on Oklahoma side of the field and came up short. So all those games are close. And last week, they got the benefit they're playing Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State was missing its quarterback and top wide receiver, so that helped them get that win. But uh, they, they have not been as impressive as you would have thought they would have been this year. And as much as the defense looked improved early in the year, they've had their uh, weaknesses in the middle of the year. Let's go to the game I'm really focused on, uh, Georgia LSU. Uh, how do you see it? Again, let, let me let me just start with you know my, my impression. LSU has just surprised the heck out of me. I mean, I knew they'd be strong because I read it in your magazine. You told me they would. Didn't know they'd be that strong. Georgia again has had has had this kind of weird, you know, uh, not as much as you think it's going to do, uh, and their defense has kind of been carrying them. How do you see this game? Yeah, Georgia has the best defense in the SEC when you uh, look at them this year. They're allowing just 265 yards per game, and I think uh, Kirby Smart's been uh, okay coming into a game knowing he's got this great defense to play a conservative offense. He does, doesn't have to score a ton of points. Basic thing is just to win the game, and that's pretty much been their mo. In fact, they have a top 20. 27 points in an SEC game since way back on October the 5th when they played Tennessee. Really? Uh, so really? They're all- yeah, only averaging 25 points per game in SEC play, and they're without Lawrence Cager, their top wide receiver. George Pickens, the guy who took his place, is going to miss the first half, so it's an average receiving court right now, taking on a very good LSU secondary. They're loaded with high draft picks in the secondary. I think they can play a lot of man-to-man coverage, bring an extra man in the box to slow down Swift, who, by the way, is banged up coming in. You wonder what his health is actually like, and Jake Fromm's been a pedestrian quarterback without his wide receivers the last couple of games. I think LSU can score on anybody. When I look at LSU, you go back to the Auburn game. They were held to 23 points, but they had 30 first downs, 508 yards. Uh, I like LSU, even in the situation that George is very comfortable playing in the SEC title game, has done very well there the last two years. I like LSU to win this one by more than a touchdown. Yeah, it's kind of reverse for them, right? I mean, it was the LSU defense, 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 and now it's the LSU offense. The offense is really better than the defense, is as good as the defense is. Yeah, phenomenal offense. And, you know, Bill, back in uh, August, in an ESPN article, I put my six favorites for the Heisman Trophy, and my dark horse was Joe Burrow. You know what the odds were on him back at the start of August? 200 to 1 to win the Heisman. So put him in the article, and uh, that looks pretty good right now. As long as Joe doesn't have a disastrous day here, I think he goes to New York and takes home that trophy. Maybe someone listened to you and put $5 on that uh, bet, maybe. Huh? There you go. That would be well worth it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, quickly, Hawaii, Boise State. That's Boise State to win, isn't it? Yeah, you would think so. You know, Hawaii's played very well. Uh, you know, Rolovich, their head coach, is a guy who doesn't fear anybody. You know, talking to him, he, he doesn't care where we're playing, who we're playing. He's going to have his team believe and they can win. Look at last week. You know, they beat Army. They beat San Diego State the week before. You would have thought they were out of it. Now, all of a sudden, they're in the Mountain West 
West title game. But they were playing in 82 degrees in sunshine last week. Now they're going to be playing in upper 30s, lower 40s, maybe some precipitation. It's Boise football weather. And Boise just two weeks ago had a big game against Utah State. They led that thing 42-7 to at the half yeah. and coasted to a 56-21 win. They're at home. They're on the blue turf. You have to think Boise does win this one. All right, I'll show you my bias here. Uh, Virginia, Clemson, another tough game for Clemson, huh? <laughs> I, I got to go with Clemson to win this one super comfortably. You know, when you look at uh, Virginia, they're a team that just went to the wall last week against Virginia Tech, a team that had beaten them 15 straight years. The game was for the Coastal title to get to the ACC title game, and it went down to the final minutes. They kicked the field goal with about a minute and a half left in the game to take the, the lead and then pulled out the win on a fumble return or a fumble recovery in the end zone for a touchdown. So it was a misleading 39-30 final score. Clemson, meanwhile, just beats the heck out of everybody this year. They were led 28-3 to at the half, coasted last week, and they've just dominated everybody they played. You know, Virginia lost to Louisville. They lost to Miami. They needed fourth-quarter comebacks against Virginia Tech and Florida State. They got past Georgia Tech by five. They got past North Carolina by seven. And like I said, Clemson's beaten their ACC foes by 35 points per game. I like Clemson to win that one comfortably. Yeah, yeah, I do too. Are they... Let me put my emphasis emphasis on the word no. We believe they're good. Do we know they're really good from that schedule? Do we yes. know that we do? Okay. I, I absolutely I saw it last year in the national championship game against Alabama. We know they have a quarterback that can win in a big game. Trevor Lawrence, the last five games, has a 16-0 ratio. They've got one of the best receiving cores in the country with Higgins, Ross, and Rogers. One of the best running backs in the country with Travis Etienne. They've got an offensive line that's up for the Joe Moore Award as one of the top offensive lines in the country. And defensively, they're holding the opponents to 170 yards per game below their season average, giving up 233 yards per game. They haven't allowed an opponent over 300 yards all season. So this is really a complete team for Clemson this year. And I don't think anybody, I don't think either Ohio State or LSU wants to match up against them in that first round of the playoff. We got you. I want to get into that uh, that possible first round. We've done the list here. Ohio State, Wisconsin. Seems nobody can really uh, punch uh, back that hard against Ohio State. They're really formidable this year, aren't they? Ryan Day is my coach of the year by far. Uh-huh. You take a look at this year's Ohio State team. I mean, they lose a Hall of Fame head coach. They lose play. They only have one returning starter on the offensive line. They've got a brand new quarterback coming in. And the defense last year, oh, let's face it, they allowed over 400 yards per game last year. So where's the hope that this is a dominant team? Ryan Day steps in. They allow 232 yards per game this year. Amazing job there. The offensive line, another unit that's up for the Joe Moore Award. Quarterback Justin Fields, about 37 touchdowns, one interception. J.K. Dobbins averaging 6.6 yards per carry. I think Ryan Day has done a phenomenal job. Now, they beat Wisconsin 38-7 to in the first one. Do I remind you, it was 10-7 in the middle of the third quarter, and the first nine possessions of that game were actually punts, but Ohio State is the better team and should be able to get this one comfortably. I'm sorry, when did Ohio State play Wisconsin? Oh, they played them earlier this year. They beat them 38-7, to you know, and I, it was totally uh, at home in Columbus. I totally yeah, forgot the first, that that was on their regular schedule, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah, they, the first nine possessions were actually punts, so it's zero zero late in the first half. Uh-huh. Ohio State got ten points, and they're up ten to nothing. And then Wisconsin blocked a punt, made it ten to seven. Then Ohio State scored on their next four possessions and put the game away thirty eight to seven. Okay, 
Uh, only I, I want to get into the uh, maybe the possible four teams. Do a couple of odds and ends with you, but well, what do you say about Alabama? Man, you talk about a sad ending. Twelve men on the field, huh? Wow. Mm. Uh, Nick Saban didn't want to be one of his assistant coaches in the in the locker room after that one. What was wrong with Alabama this year? I mean, apart from Tua, would it uh, have been different I, if Tua was healthy? I thought the the kid did you know, pretty I think well. I, I, I think it might have been if Tua was healthy. Although LSU's pretty doggone potent this year and played great in that game, I think the fact that Tua might have missed some practice might have hurt him a little bit in the LSU game, and definitely I think it hurt the Auburn game. In fact, if you look yeah. at the Auburn game, even with a backup quarterback, they had a five hundred and fifteen to 354-yard edge. Auburn got two interception return touchdowns off that backup quarterback. Had that not happened, Alabama probably goes into Jordan-Hare and comes out with the win. So I'm not thinking there's too much wrong with Alabama this year. They played well. Uh, had they not lost two of their, there definitely would have been a playoff team, I think. As I looked at it, I'm kind of an Alabama fan for a variety of reasons, but uh, it seemed to me both the LSU game uh, and the Auburn game, that the secondary was weaker than it's been. Is, is that right? Uh, in the Auburn game, it showed a little bit, but they only allowed 173 yards passing yeah, in the okay. game, 354 okay. total yards. So okay. they didn't play bad defense, but it was a very young defense. And I think what happened to Alabama was back in August, they lost two of their linebackers coming into the season, lost another one at the start of September. What would have been maybe one of the best linebacking cores in the country turned into one that was relying on two freshmen, a linebacker. And I think that hurt them a little bit defensively uh, this year. And that's why they gave up 369 yards per game in SEC play. Let's go to predictions or assessments, however you want to do it. Um, Okay, Ohio State plays Wisconsin, beats them roughly like they did early in the season. LSU beats Georgia by 10. Clemson beats Virginia by 320 points. Um, (laughs) I'm thinking 299, Bill. Okay, okay. Utah Utah wins a close game, but convincing and 10-point win over Oregon. What's the lineup? Who's number one? Who's number four? You know, in that situation, if Ohio State beats Wisconsin uh, comfortably, I think Ohio State does finish the season number one and lines up against Utah in the opening game of the playoff. And then it's LSU and Clemson in the other matchup. And, boy, that's that would be a much-anticipated one because Clemson really is a complete team. And LSU, while they played good defense in the last game, they've shown that they can give up some yards and points. You go back to the 614 yards they gave up to Bama and 541 they gave up to Alabama – Miss and then to 514 to Alabama. And Carolina, UNC played them very close, right? Clemson. They did. And that was really, it was Clemson's only competitive game of the entire year. And yet after that game, I think for about a five-week period, the narrative around the country is Clemson's not a very good team and they haven't been playing well. That just wasn't true. In fact, you know what, Bill? They are 9-2 and two against the spread this year. So that wow. tells you they have been playing well. And they're one, one of those losses was Texas A&M. Remember, A&M scored a touchdown with four seconds left. Yeah. to take a 24-3 lead and make it 24-10. That and the North Carolina game were the only two games they didn't cover the spread. <laughs> that tells you how good they've been playing this year. I know. I got one combination bet, crazy bet, where I had uh, whoever, I can't remember who it was, but playing Clemson, and I had plus 45, I had 45 points. 
and I, and I won. I won it. I won it by two points. You know, I mean, there you go. Unbe- unbe- unbelievable. Just, uh, just un- unbelievable. Uh, you've mentioned a couple of quarterbacks. It's interesting. You mentioned Herbert. Uh, who's the quarterback of the year? You got Herbert. You got Fields. You got Joe Burrow, whom you mentioned. Uh, who am I forgetting? Uh, Jalen Hurts, Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence. My gosh, yeah. Who uh, rank him? Yeah, what do you think? Joe Burrow. Joe yeah, Burrow. Joe Burrow yeah. walks away with the Heisman Trophy. He's got it locked okay. up and sealed right now. Uh, yeah, I look at the fact that he's hit seventy-eight percent with forty-four touchdowns, six interceptions, and he's played his best in the big games. You go back to Texas when he threw for four hundred seventy-one yards. Florida, he hit twenty-one at twenty-four passing. Auburn's defense. 32 of 42 for 321. Bama, 31 of 39 for 393. So in all the big games, he has flashed out, and he really is the difference between LSU's offense last year and this year. I think has been his adaption to the new offense. We got a uh, we got to talk about our local boy, who's uh, maybe the defensive player of the year for Ohio State. Uh, you, you 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 know the program, don't you, Claude? Oh yeah, yeah. Talking about Chase Young, huh? Chase Young from Dematha, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, very proud of our Dematha guys here in, uh, in high school, Phil. Yeah, Chase Young has been absolutely dominant this year. Now, last week against Michigan, he actually didn't have a tackle, right. which was very, very surprising. But as it was, Ohio State still won comfortably. And you have to put a lot of attention on Chase Young. And if you don't, like the Penn State game where they tried to block him one-on-one, forget about it. Chase Young's going to have a great day. And I, I think right now the big question is, will Chase Young be the number one pick in the draft or will a quarterback sneak ahead of him? But I think at this point, Chase Young, it looks like your number one pick in the draft and just an absolutely dominant season. He's going to take home every defensive award that's available to him. Now, with that mention of high school, I put on my Secretary of Education hat and my football helmet at the same time. <laughs> I'll t- tell you a story. So we were in Las Vegas. Family was in Las Vegas. Invited a friend of mine from L.A., Brian Kennedy, to come over to, to join us for dinner. He said, I-, I can't. He said, you know, you say you care about college football. Well, I'm, I'm sitting here watching what's going to happen to Clemson, Alabama. I said, what are you talking about? He said, I'm watching Don Bosco play modern day. And <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, Phil? The modern day kid right. is, is, going to, is going to Clemson and the Bosco kids go to Alabama. Amazing. Yeah, it is. That is amazing. Great recruiting area there. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of good talent in that area. Thank you. We know it's a terribly busy time of year. You got a lot of interviews to do, and congratulations on your predictions. Uh, you were smart again, the best in the business, and we're the very magazine, grateful. by the way, is always right. I mean, he's always right on this stuff. Right? Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> you guys are very kind. I really appreciate that, and uh, always enjoy the conversation. We should we should do this more often. I always enjoy talking to you guys. You bet. Well, you can call and interview me on impeachment whenever you like. You know. <laughs> All right, I will do that. <laughs> if, you need, if you need it, well, we're we're we're. we're at least we're trying. We're playing contact sports here. Did you did you hear did you hear what one of the law professors said at the hearing the other day? I hope you didn't. Uh, you I, I have not. If it's not football, Bill, I don't hear I, anything. I got you. I had to watch the whole thing. See, this is why your life's better than mine. Anyway, uh, this professor got up and he said, problem here. He said, everybody's mad. He said, the president's mad, Nancy Pelosi's mad, the Republicans are mad, the Democrats are mad. He said, in my house, my normally normally calm wife is mad. My kids are mad. He said, I have a Labrador-doodle, a normally very calm, sweet dog. He's mad. (laughs) So, anyway. 
Uh, great story. Great, great story. story. <laughs> thank you, Phil. Thank you very much for what you do. Really. Thanks, sir. All right. Thanks. Good talking to you again, Bill. You bet. Merry Christmas to you. Bye. Merry Christmas as well. That does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to BillBennettShow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. You can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week.